This is Southern Tier Close-Up on News Radio 1290, WNBF Binghamton, and WNBF.com. Right, and this is the Southern Tier Close-Up, a weekly public affairs presentation of this station. Joining me on the phone this morning, it's it's going to be a little dated by the time this airs, but I want to say a very happy birthday oh. <laughs> to our New York State Controller, Thomas DiNapoli. Thank you, Kathy. That's very kind. I didn't think you knew that. And, you know, before we started chatting, we, we mentioned how February could be such a dreary, difficult month. Now you know why um, I don't overly celebrate my birthday, because it's right, right here in the middle of February. <laughs> and that's what I said to you. I was like, what do you mean it's, you do you hate this month? It's like, you know. I, I am definitely a victim of, 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 you know, winter depression, especially by the time February rolls around. So everybody always says... You should be in a good mood. It's your birthday. I say, ah, please. You know, <laughs> it's too cold. I'm tired of it. <laughs> you know, whatever. I'm jealous of people that have July birthdays. What can I tell you? So. Well, you see, now mine is like right in, in the, the, the cusp where it could be really – well, I live in the middle of mud. I'm I'm at the end of April, so uh, it's it's one of those seasons of the Southern Tier: summer, winter, and mud. I've got mud. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, either way, thanks for the good wishes. Oh, you're that. welcome. Well, um, you are the the guy that's in charge of the money in the state of New York, and you know, it, it, I, I talk to you occasionally, and it's always just a nice little fun chit chat. But thinking about you know, this guy is is a pretty important dude. And you talk about New York State, New York State's economy and all the stuff that you kind of oversee, uh, you know, pretty a big deal. Uh, but, I, you know, have you ever Googled yourself, Mr. DiNapoli? <laughs> you know, I do it now and then. I, I, can't, I don't think I've done it lately, but um, occasionally I do. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I, have, it, I don't remember the last time I did. But it's kind of interesting stuff. I mean, you got into politics at a very, very young age. That's true. 18 years old. Yep, senior in high school. Yep, yep, yep. School board. Well, I was just a little bit freshman in college when I got into radio, but I, you know, I was going to say I can't imagine an 18-year-old being interested in politics, although we have had a few elected officials here in Broome County that, that young. Yeah. But um, And you've stuck with it. But the whole thing that I'm looking at the stuff that I just popped up here, it, it's not like you're – one of these people that aspired to be a, a Wall Street tycoon or anything else, how did you end up getting on the whole, I mean, you served in the Assembly, yeah. correct, and on that whole thing, but how did you end up in the whole financial end of state government? Well, I mean, it's, you know, I appreciate you asked that question, because I don't really get asked that question uh, a whole lot, and I think it's an important one. I mean, apropos to how you started this part of the conversation, I, I started at an early age, I came of age in the late 60s, early 70s, and, you know, all the different movements, and, you know, I was motivated by, uh, you know, the Kennedy brothers, Martin Luther King, uh, wanted to be involved, and the year I was uh, turning 18 and a senior in high school was the year that the 18-year-old vote first came in. So I had been active in school issues, I'd gone to school board meetings, I didn't like some of the things there that were going on. And I ran for school board. I, I had that unique privilege to, you know, have been the first 18-year-old elected to anything in the state. And that kind of launched my belief that uh, elective office public service is a place where you can make a difference. I worked in the private sector for 10 years, uh, have a degree in management, and I did have that chance to be in the assembly. And and really, it was that time in the assembly that led to the appointment for control, because, again, just for the history, and it's, it's, it goes back a ways now, but my predecessor, as you may recall, got into trouble and had to resign the office. Actually, eventually, 
uh, went to prison, uh, as you may recall. That would be so, Alan Hevesy? Alan Hevesy, yeah. So there was, there was a vacancy, and under the state constitution, the, when there's a vacancy in the, in the position of state controller or attorney general, state attorney general, the legislature, acting as a unicameral body, selects the replacement. And, and, and so I put my name forward because uh, I had done a fair amount of work. I mean, I served on the Ways and Means Committee, you know, the Finance Committee, for like 15 years. I had done some legislation, particularly on school uh, oversight after the Roslyn scandal of, of stealing of money. So that accountability agenda is something I had worked on and been familiar with. I chaired the local government's committee uh, for a couple of years and certainly the controls office with the audits of local governments and IDAs. You know, so you go down the list. I had legislative work in finance area. My graduate degree, my master's, was in management when I, when I was still uh, in the private sector. You know, so I, although I wasn't from Wall Street, and by the way, that was one of the criticisms at the time that, that the legislature selected me, I felt that the kind of work I had done legislatively and some of that private sector experience as a manager actually more than qualified me, for, you know, to be considered. And, you know, the controller's job, uh, you know, it's, it's, it is an elected position. So you look at who the controllers have been. They haven't been Wall Street people. They haven't been CPAs. I mean, they are people who come through the political process. Um, you know, uh, Carl McCall, uh, a, a great controller, served in the state Senate. And, uh, you know, he had done some work at Citibank, but it was, you know, um, a government relations work. Ned Regan, uh, who was the last Republican controller from uh, Erie County, was a a legislator in the, locally, and then the county executive, and then he'd be control. Arthur Levitt, who was the legendary controller for 24 years, he was a lawyer uh, for, and came out of the Brooklyn uh, Democratic Party, was on the Board of Education. So, and by the way, my Board of Education experience was helpful, too, you know, in terms of, mm-hmm. of, of the work. So, you know, so the, the, the job of controller is to really be accountable to the people, and especially given that the vacancy was created because of an, uh, a lapse in ethics and integrity, I really made the case that someone who understands, you know, about transparency and the political process is the right person for the position because at the end of the day, Kathy, you hire the experts. You hire the people who know finance to manage the pension fund. Right. You hire the CPAs and the auditors to, to, to do the audits. You hire the government operations people uh, to do the, the contracts and the, and the payroll. Uh, you know, you, you go down the long list of responsibilities. You, you hire the people who are experts in benefits administration to administer the pension fund. No one person is going to be an expert in all of that. But right. you want the person at the top to set the tone, to set the policy, hire the experts, make sure the job gets done. So, yeah, and you're the guy that gets the blame, though. <laughs> you know, but that's, but, because but you've that's hired the guys, right? you know. No, but that's our problem. I mean, that's where the public has the ultimate accountability, right? So so that's why I always say to folks, you know, I, I back my people up all the time. We have 2,700 people work for the controller's office. Wow. Most, most of them are civil service. But but I say, I say, especially to the people who are at the management level, I, I will always back you up if you're doing the right job. Uh, and, and I'll take the hits, you know, when I need to. And, you know, the reality is I often get credit, you know, for certain things that other people probably are more responsible for directly than I am. But but that's where, you know, I, I do have to be the face for the office. I am the one that has to be out there, talk to the press, talk to the media, talk to the local elected officials. But again, that's where my experience as someone who's been in elective office before, at the local level, the state level, you know, I think that's what has um, 
at least so far, made me an effective controller, and you know, hopefully I'll be able to continue in this position. Well, let's dive into, because we're already halfway through the program. I told you we were going to have fun today. <laughs> um, well, not so much fun. Let's dive into the budget stuff. Yeah. I mean, we've got April 1st is the, the start of the fiscal year in New York. Um, New York has just been you know slapped left, right, and sideways when it comes to finances for years, but now we got the cost of COVID, um, but surprisingly, the sales tax revenues up, and I know Pennsylvania was talking about they're basically doing the, the breaststroke through all the revenues that they've got, and yeah. Governor Wolf saying, "Yeah, we got all this money to spend." I mean, it just seems very weird that you know all this money going toward dealing with a global pandemic and us being at ground zero for intents and purposes for a good deal of it. Um, what is going on with the budget, and how much does the controller's office have to do with the whole budget process as we go through this thing? Well, you know, in terms of the latter part of your question, we're, you know, we are. We're not the legislature or the governor, so so the, the the executive and the legislature are the ones who actually negotiate the budget, set set the you know the final numbers. What what our role is, we comment on the budget proposal as we we just put out a report recently, as you may have seen. Mm-hmm. We'll also do an analysis when the when the budget is finally adopted after April first, and then we monitor the spending to make sure that the money that's being uh, spent is is being spent appropriately and according to what the legislature and the governor had uh, decided upon when they put the budget together. So, you know, that comes into play with, you know, with our audits of state spending and review of contracts and so on. So our role is less uh, of a, you know, making the decisions and more of making sure that the decisions that were made are being properly uh, implemented. And the other part of our job is really to look at the long term. So very often when we comment, we comment less about particular choices on spending again that's that's the prerogative of the governor and legislature to work out but we really look at what is the out year consequence the multi-year consequence of decisions and and you really touched on uh the point that we're at right now uh you know a year ago we thought we were going to be in a, a terrible deficit situation right uh for all the reasons that you identified you know the impact of covid the the, the economy closing down and slowly reopening but uh, like many states, we're in a much stronger position. Sales tax, you know, we just put out a report, you know, over 19% higher collections than last year. Personal income tax collections, all the, the state revenue, uh, tax collections are up like $10 billion higher than we first thought they would be uh, back in April. Combination of reasons. Number one, the economy is recovering, and although it's uneven and we're not back to where we were uh, in terms of, of jobs uh, to the pre-pandemic levels, you know, we're certainly recovering more quickly uh, than we thought we were going to be recovering. Also, the legislature in in the current year's budget had increased taxes on wealthier New Yorkers, so more revenue coming in because of that. The big game changer, though, Kathy, the billions of dollars coming out of Washington, the American Rescue Plan. Before that, the coronavirus uh, relief funding. Uh, you know, the state alone has, has received uh, well over twelve billion dollars just for the state government, and then our local governments have received billions as well. Uh, so that has given us uh, more cash than we've seen in a long time. And for the first time, Kathy, the, the, the budget for the out years is projecting no budget gap. I mean, it's like every year, right. even when the budget's done, we have out-year gaps. This year's financial plan is not projecting gaps for the next four or five years. We haven't been in that situation in a long time. Will it hold up? Will the projections hold up? Well, we, we hope so. But for right now, 
we're in a very strong uh, fiscal position. Well, I'm not a big financial person, but one of the things that pops a flag in my little head is when you've got federal government throwing money to the states and things like that, that money's got to come from someplace too, mm-hmm. and it's not going to last forever. Yeah. So we yeah. can't get co- too comfortable saying that we've got this money bailing us out, so let's go you know, spending it left, right, and all over the place. You, I want to echo and emphasize what you just said. It's certainly what we've been saying in all of our analysis of, of the budget and the state's uh, financial position. The federal money is not forever. And, you know, the spending commitments that are being made for, for you know, the out years when the federal money is spent down, we have to make sure we have the revenue to back it up, which is one of the reasons why we've called for a much more aggressive building up of our reserves and our rainy day funds. Governor Hochul and her proposal has, for the first time in a long time, proposed significant increase of those rainy day reserves because we don't know if the economy is going to pick up to the point that that tax revenue will make up for the federal money that is going to be spent down. You're absolutely correct. Was the pandemic kind of a wake-up call as far as those reserve funds and the rainy day funds? Because, I mean, we got more than a rainy day out of that. Well, it should have been, but, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you, and I give Governor Hochul credit, she's the first executive in my time that has been serious about addressing the issue of poorly funded reserves. So, um, you know, let's hope that that proposal survives the budget process, and then that would be an indication that, yeah, yeah, there there was a wake-up call, uh, number one, and and number two, there was a recognition since we have uh, all this money, Let's not squander it all. Uh, you know, we, you go back to when the Great Recession hit 11, 12 years ago. We didn't, we didn't learn from that. You didn't build up the reserves adequately after that. So let's hope after COVID we, we do learn that lesson. We've only got a minute left, and one of the things that I did want to touch on, because I've heard a lot of uh, reaction to the, the change in the tax cap when we're talking about the, the tax cap for, like, schools and governments for their, their property taxes. What's going on with that, and how does it affect me in Johnson City? Well, because of inflation, the cap is going to be two percent, which is you know the the, the you know the, the highest level. We haven't had a two percent cap uh, in a while. It's, it's been lower because the you know the inflation had been lower up until this year. Right. You know, so most local governments, school districts, municipalities, they 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 seek to live within the cap. But I, I think that that what will be the relief for the local governments is that they are also receiving significant money from uh, the federal government, and the state budget is going to be good to them as well. So I I, I think that. You know, by and large, your local governments will be able to live within that cap. So I can tell my husband that the increase in the tax cap is not going to make us have to go live in a box down by the river because our school taxes have gone up so high. (laughs) Well, I can't speak for every jurisdiction you live in, but I don't think so. I think you and your husband will be fine. (laughs) We are out of time. Happy birthday, Mr. Thank you. Well, my birthday present should be that we do this again and not so much in between our our chats. Oh, seriously, we had so much more ground we could have covered. It is New York State Controller Thomas DiNapoli on our program and the birthday boy a couple weeks ago. By the time this airs, thank you for being my guest. I appreciate it. Thank you, Kathy. This has been the Southern Tier Close-Up, a weekly public affairs presentation of this station. This program was recorded for broadcast at this time. I'm Kathy White for the Southern Tier Close-Up. On our first date, we had...